Welcome to the Really Useful Podcast. I'm Christian Crawley from MakeUseOf.com and with me is my MEO colleague, it's Ben Stegner. Hey Ben, how are you doing? Hello everybody, I'm doing good Christian and you today. Yeah, not bad, thank you. We're back for the second episode of our fourth run of the Really Useful Podcast and we have got a load of tech news that matters to normal people and some tips and tricks that you can use. We are the podcast the tech podcast for technophobes, so uh, we're here to help, basically. Uh, so in this week's uh, really useful podcast, we're going to find out what is IFA. We're going Ifa? to look at IFA, even. Yeah. There you go. Even I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we're going to uh, look at um, the uh, recent spate of Google Calendar spam and what you can do about it. Google's tips on what to watch and how you can play SNES games on a Nintendo Switch. Uh, we'll also be looking at some classic PC games you can play on an Android device, whether or not you should use desktop download apps or Windows Store apps on Windows, uh, some ridiculous EULA causes that uh, you find yourself agreeing to, and some telltale signs of whether the person you're speaking to on the phone is a scammer. Uh, so... IFA. Now it doesn't say IFA. It says IFA here. Um, is it, this is a this is a sort of like a technology trade event, isn't it? But That's there, right. there's, there's IFA, there's CES, there's the one in Spain. There's all sorts. What what's what are these, Ben? What do these so, mean? When you see them in the news, what is it all about? Yeah. So I just don't feel bad about the name. I actually didn't know how it was pronounced until I always said like in my head I said IFA, and then when I went to CES for the first time last year, someone said IFA, and I was like. Oh, that's how you say it. Um, yeah, so basically these, I haven't been to EFA. I was at CES last year and planning to go this coming year. Um, or I say last year, you know, 2019. Um, so they're basically big industry trade shows where people show off or companies show off their new tech. So it's pretty much anything from TVs to phones to smart appliances to robot gadgets, AI um, new displays, um, anything like it's a huge headphones, anything really you could think of. It's a huge range of new toys and tricks to play with. So it's everything from like minor releases that might be coming out in a few weeks to like big, huge, like entire wall TVs that probably won't be out for 10 years, you know? So it's kind of a, it's a, you kind of have to temper your expectations when you go because a lot of it's a lot of buzzwords and, you know, this will be coming soon and all that. And the stuff's Mm going to come out for, it's not going to come out for a while and it's going to be really expensive when it does, but it's still cool to be there and see what, what companies are working on. And there's some smaller companies that go too. So it's not just like LG and Samsung and the big players. Okay, so I mean, um, usually when these events are on, you see snippets of the stuff on TV news, don't you? The little technology sections are but, sure. Um, but quite, but quite often, as you say, these what's shown isn't going to come along for quite a while. Now, a good example of this is like last year, there was a big thing about foldable displays on phones, wasn't it? Sure. And yeah. you know, twelve, eighteen months on, that's not really happening, is it? That's right, yeah. When we were at CES, so that was Jan- uh, January 2019, um, we didn't – I don't know if they were there, but if they were, we didn't see, like, Samsung's foldable phone and that whole thing. Um, we did see a couple smaller companies I hadn't heard of or don't remember have a foldable phone, but they were very protective of it at the time. Um, mm-hmm. They had they had all their devices out on a table, but then the foldable phone was like there was one guy that was showing it off to the press and he was like holding it so you could get pictures of it. But it wasn't like, here, come play with it. So I think even then it wasn't like, yeah, these are ready to come out in two weeks.
weeks. You know, it was very, this is kind of a thing. So yeah, it's exciting, but you have to just remember that that stuff's probably not going to come out to normal consumers anytime soon. Okay. So um, was anyone ever able to touch these foldable phones? I don't remember. I was with, I was with James at that time. Actually, we were at that company's booth and they just happened to be filming like an, a, a different uh, production was filming something for it. Um, I don't know if they were able to touch them or not. I want to say it was only the representative that was holding it and touching it, but I could be wrong. So it could have been a dummy or it could even have been just been CGI. That's that's true. It could have been all, <laughs> all mystery. <laughs> and there, and there's a lot of, you know, when you go at least at CES, there's a lot of, um, like business to business stuff. So it's a lot of companies that are selling like, like screen protectors and stuff. That's not stuff for businesses to buy. And a lot of like the same type of thing. Like last year we saw when I was there, we saw a lot of like, uh, how would you say like, um, augmented reality glasses, you know, where you look through and there's like a little dragon flying around, like you see that. And then you walk down the, the aisle and there's 20 companies that have something similar. I mean, it's cool, but a lot of it is uh, pretty repetitive at times. Yeah. Okay, um, so that's IFA and similar events. IFA is not, as you may have previously thought, only an Irish girl's name. It's also a technology trade event. Okay, let's move on. Now, Google Calendar Spam, a lot of people have been getting odd emails, um, which include, uh, which is spam, and they also include a Google Calendar entry. Um, so they show up as big alerts in your inbox and particularly annoying if you have all of that sort of stuff synced on your phone. Uh, I had one of these um, last week. I've, have you had one, Ben? Yeah, I think I had two. Yeah, you know, you I was really cross it, about it. Yeah. I was unnecessarily cross about it. I'm like, what the hell is this? You see an event and it's like, like when I, I don't, I use my calendar a little bit, but like, so when I see yeah. something, I figure like, oh, I set a reminder or, oh, I need to remember to go do yeah. some event. Yeah. And then you see it and it's like vital query or something like super weird. And then it's like, oh, this is just junk. I think I've had it happen twice. After the second time I said, okay, I have to change this setting because I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. It's very much, it's a very sort of obnoxious way to de-spam because it, it very much is announcing itself to you. Right, because right. you probably Hello, have... I'm spam, and I've added myself to your life, basically. <laughs> because you probably have notifications turned on for your calendar, because yep. obviously they're important, as opposed to, yep. like, email spam, which just goes right to the filter. So, um, this has been... Uh, this kind of started early September, maybe late August, and it's still going on now. Uh, now, Google are taking steps to block this. However, there is something that you can do, too. Uh, you go to Google Calendar on the web, you click the settings cog in the top corner and open settings. You scroll down to event settings and click automatically add invitations and select no, only display invitations to which I have replied. That's important bit there. Um, then you scroll down to events from Gmail and uncheck automatically add events from Gmail to my calendar. Um, and that should prevent you from being hit with any Google Calendar spam. And events sent to Gmail won't be automatically added. And invitations will only be displayed if you have replied to them. Um, that, I mean, that, that second point might be a little bit frustrating. Until Google get a handle on this, um, you are going to have to do that, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it's it's just taking advantage of like the default behavior because it like if someone invites you to an event by default, it goes on your calendar so you know about it, which if you use calendar all the time for legitimate stuff, you might miss that functionality. But I don't know. Hopefully Google can figure out a way to I don't know if they'll like block it by keyword or just like some whatever the typical spam pattern is if they can figure out how to block that so that these functions are still useful. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I use Google Calendar religiously now. Um, I only started using it about six months ago. Prior to that, my entire freelance career, and prior to that, I used a, a self-formatted Excel sheet. Oh. Drawn out as a sort of schedule, you know, arranged as a schedule. And, um, it's all right for blocking out work, but it's not so good for things that you would get invita- invited to and stuff like that. You sure. You get things. And it took me a very long time to put that method of doing things to one side and try something new. But uh, it's working really well for me. So it's one of the reasons why I'm so annoyed by this uh, particular inconvenience. Um, sticking with Google, they um, have you ever sat in front of the telly and thought, what shall I watch? No, I haven't. I'm not a big watch of television. What about you, Ben? uh yeah i'm not really either i'm i as we talked about before i enjoy playing games more so sometimes i will do that with movies but with movies i have the opposite problem actually where i don't wonder what to watch i have like a long list of things like someone tells me about a movie then i add it to my watch list and i'm like yeah i should watch some of those sometime but yeah, i wouldn't it's say i have seven this problem feet long. <laughs> yeah uh, yep. 800 movies yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well google are now going to help you out if you are struggling to find something to watch um They've announced that it's not always easy to choose from the options out there, and you might find yourself spending more time browsing across multiple apps than actually watching a movie or TV show. Google has a new tool. Just search for good shows to watch or what to watch on your mobile, and they will then throw some suggestions at you and give you some personalized links. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's nice and helpful. I'm not... uh, let's, Let's give it a go now. Okay, so I'm just typing in what yeah. to watch. I want to see if it's got me. You know, if it's if it knows the stuff that I like. Um, right, it's giving me the best. Right, it's not really. I might not work in the UK. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it works here either because I just search what to watch and it just it says like popular things, but it doesn't have that like Tinder card interface that it, maybe yeah. it's rolling out now. Yeah, it's like it's um they're, they're in the process role now. It's obviously not work. Oh wait, here we go. Hold on, wait. Great picks for you. Here it is. Okay. okay. Choosing movies and shows. Okay, Suicide Squad. Um, I haven't seen that. So is this like a I liked I didn't like it or like a I didn't care for it? All right, so I'll say no to that. Incredibles okay. two. Yeah, I liked that. Batman Begins. Yeah, I like that. The Office. That's good. I liked Wreck It Ralph. I like Captain America. I like Timeless. And Ghostbusters 2016, that's a no. Uh, Batman vs. Superman's a no. Pitch Perfect 3 was alright. Thanks for your feedback. It says new picks coming your way. And then it just generates, yeah, new new picks for you. Doctor Strange, Incredibles 2, Invader Zim. Okay. So I guess basically uh, it's like a, a, sh- a sample, a short sample of stuff, and then based on that it updates the uh, recommendations. Yeah. I've I actually got a great big list. As uh, when I use good shows to watch, I just got a list of shows, some of which I've seen, some of which I haven't, some of which I wouldn't. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think that's interesting. I there's I um there's a site I forget the name of it, but it's the effect is that you can type in a video game, book, movie, even I think uh, artists, music artists, and it'll give you similar or recommended um, right. pe- like things to listen to after that or to watch. I like that because a lot of the time, like you'll for me, like I'll play a game and it's like I really like to find games similar to this and I had to use that as a jumping off point. You can find a lot of really yeah. cool stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that clearly works. I don't know. I, I guess it's handy. I mean, I guess if you if you use Google fairly often, it might kind of pick up on that already. But, I mean, unless you Google stuff that you Google things you're not really interested in just to get more info about them or whatever. But Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on from that. It's a useful thing. And uh, as with everything else in this week's really useful podcast, and every really useful podcast, really, um, You'll find it all in the show notes. I've probably just slowed my speech there. Sound like I've been at the whiskey, but I genuinely have not. Um, coffee, <laughs> mainly coffee. Um, Nintendo adds SNES games to Switch Online. You can now play SNES games on your Nintendo Switch thanks to Nintendo adding 20 Super Nintendo games to Switch Online. Um, these include Super Mario World, Super Metroid, and Stunt Race FX. Um, you have a Switch, don't you, Ben? I do, yeah, and I'm a huge fan of the Super Nintendo. So the yeah, the Switch Online service launched a year ago, and part of it for twenty bucks a year. Um, part of it is the NES games online, which Nintendo are, have been adding to for uh, since it launched about every month. So yeah, it's really cool to see Super Nintendo games. Um, I wouldn't say that this is a complete collection of like must-play Super Nintendo games, but most of the ones here are pretty good. Um, it's a good, especially if you were interested in, maybe you didn't play them as a kid or whatever, and you couldn't get an, uh, a Super Nintendo Mini. A lot of these are really great. I mean, Super Metroid's phenomenal. Link to the Past is a classic Zelda game. Uh, you got Super Mario World and Yoshi's Island. So that, those are definitely worth a play. Uh, if you have a Switch and you haven't played these games, or if you're considering signing up for the online service, this is definitely a nice perk for it. And they said, Nintendo said they'll be adding more games in the future, but not every month now. So more. And I I mean, to me, like Super Nintendo is the first system I really remember playing myself, which I think we talked about before. So to me, like the NES games are nice, but they're kind of a lot of NES games are kind of limited. I think Super Nintendo is where the replayability and like the adventure starts to ramp up in a lot of cases. So, yeah, this is a great, great to see. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm glad you're pleased with it. Speaking I've played of plus- most of these, so yeah. <laughs> I've I, I played a whole lot of them, so I probably, I, I probably won't take advantage of it too much, but I'm glad to see it for other people. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, sticking with the topic of um, classic games, um, I updated a list of... That says nine. It's not nine. A bunch. It is nine. A bunch of... Classic PC games that you can play on Android. Now that's um, that might sound a bit crazy to you, but um, basically some old PC games have been released, so they're on Android. And and you know, there's loads of them. There's, there's like the Grand Theft Auto three series. Uh, there's there's Star Wars games. There's Carmageddon. There's Dragon's Lair, which goes back to um, that, the, that came out in the 80s. I, I remember Dragon's Lake coming out on um, in the in the arcade cabinets. 
Yeah, that was one of the first, I think, like, cinematic. Uh, yeah. I, it definitely was cinematic. I think it was one of the, the first, like, watch a movie kind of thing and press a button at the right time kind of game. Like, that's yeah, definitely was, yeah. a, a classic in that genre. Yeah, there's Doom. There's various ways of playing Doom on uh, on Android and other devices. But, uh, yeah, there's a whole, whole choice of them. And Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which is, you know, many people consider that to be the best Star Wars game yet. Ever, although Battlefront 2 probably comes a bit close. Um, have you played any of these? I mean, I have, because I wrote the articles. I've, I've played quite a few of them. But um, Actually, I don't know if I have. I've never really played much GTA, and I've heard good things about XCOM, um, but I've never played that. My friend... So I played um, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle on the Switch, which my friend said is kind of like a light XCOM. Like that okay. strategy. Like, like strategy, so I do want to play that. But I know there's a lot of classics here. Like I've heard about Carmageddon. Um, I don't think I've played any of these actually. I've never played the original Doom. I know it's 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 sad. I need to get on it. Um, I um I, I started playing the original Doom about nineteen seven. Uh, and it had been out for years at that point. And I played it far too much, and it basically gave me nightmares. <laughs> In the sense that everything I dreamt of, I was in Doom. <laughs> you know, it's when you play the game yeah. too much and it yep. follows you into into yep. the, the realm of Morpheus. Yeah, that's what was I've, happening there. I've done that with Dance Dance Revolution when I was like, first <laughs> playing it. I, I have, I would play, well, not, I wouldn't dream that I was playing it, but like when you play it, like and the arrows are coming up on the screen, like I would close my oh, eyes right. and see arrows. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's probably, that's a, not 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 that uh, manly to admit, I guess, but no, I, I, yeah. So I think this list it might be all games I've never played. I haven't played too many Star Wars games. The main one I remember is um, Rogue Leader on GameCube. That was a launch title for the GameCube. Um, that was a pretty cool game. The first one was Rogue Rogue Squadron on N sixty four. Yeah, I yeah. It's like various same same type of thing. Various missions on the different planets. Kind of had a Star Fox feel to it. Um, Star Fox sixty four with like the scoring system because there were like you got points at the end for like how fast you were and how many allies you kept alive, I think. And there was also like a targeting system that made right. it easier to spot enemies. So if you didn't use that that much, you got more points for it. So uh, okay. that was a pretty cool game, but I know there's a lot of great star Wars games I haven't played, but I've heard of most of these at least. Knights of the old Republic is, um, it's set before 4,000 years before the main star Wars story. And it's, um, it has a really good sort of team. You can like, collect a team and you get a spaceship and you get a droid and then you choose your class and i mean it's, it's kind of rpg um but it's got a really good storyline and although the combat isn't great now it was really good at the time sure um, it's not bad now it's a little bit tedious changing your weapons or changing your attack moves and stuff but um it's got a lot going for it it's um it it, it felt fresh in a way that other star wars games didn't at the time yeah um but uh, yeah, I'd certainly recommend it. The only one of these I've played on Android intensively uh, really is Vice City. How does that how does that feel compared it, to playing it in on? In some ways, it's better than PC because some some of the missions I found, you know, the the the, the side missions like um, the the aeroplane or the balloon with the bomb and stuff like that. Those things I found them easier holding the device than using the mouse and keyboard. Okay. Um, so driving's more or less the same. Um running and shooting's not so yeah, again, more or less the same. 
doing the stunt stuff on the bike, tougher. Doing the stunts on the beach on the quad, tougher. But okay. um, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's six and two threes. It's, in some ways, it's an advantage, in others, a disadvantage. I, f- I figured, like, because I've, I've seen that with different games where they poured them to Android, and I've thought, that's a pretty intense... Like, it's one thing to play, like, a slow-moving RPG on your phone, but, like, an action game like that, I feel like there's a lot of controls and, yeah, and yeah. like, like com- combo input you have to input that would make it pretty pretty tricky. What I would really like to add to this list is Half-Life 2. Um, but because it's only available... On, in fact, it was on an early version of this list, but I took it off because um, it's only ver- available on NVIDIA devices. Oh, I don't think I knew that. I didn't know it was available on any mobile. I thought it was yeah, only on PC. Yeah, on, yeah, on the Shield, yeah. yeah. Hmm. But um, um, Now, some other devices should be able to run it, but you would need um, you would need the PC files for it, I think. Okay, so that's not really native. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so classic PC games you can play on your Android device. If you fancy a bit of retro gaming on the go, then Android is the place for you. Uh, now then, um, Ben, you've been looking at desktop apps and Microsoft Store apps, haven't you? To That's establish right. which is the best to download. I must admit, I am someone who doesn't use... Since Windows 10 came along, Windows 8 was a different story, but in Windows 10, I don't really use the Microsoft Store very much at all. Yeah, I really didn't too much either and then i kind of i updated this article and kind of looked into it more so if you're not familiar uh listeners the microsoft store uh came out with windows 8 it was called the windows store uh, and it's kind of been fleshed out in windows 10 so it offers a few different things but one of the main ones is the uh windows store apps or the universal windows platform they call them so these apps as opposed to desktop programs are a little bit more like the apps you install on your phone uh, they're sandboxed, which means that they can't interact with other parts of the system, so they're more secure. They update automatically, and they're usually uh, a, a quite a bit simpler. So there's some apps like OneNote and VLC that offer both traditional and store versions, uh, but the store version is um, – the interface is simpler, and it's like more touch-friendly, so the elements are bigger and things like that. So um, in a lot of cases, you'll like, like well-known Windows software like Steam – um, you can't find that on the Windows Store. It's only available as a desktop download. But um, mm. in a lot of cases, the the store version can be nice. And one example I always point to is like iTunes. When you install iTunes the normal way, and, and you have to update through Apple Software Update, and it includes Bonjour and a bunch of other junk, um, you can install it through the Windows Store, and then it updates through the Windows Store app, or the Microsoft Store, excuse me, and it's, uh, it's contained, so it doesn't install any of that other stuff. Okay. Um, and the Windows Store, it used to have a big problem with, uh, like, fake apps. Um, you, you'd search yeah, for something yeah. like VLC and get 20 fake, you have, you know, get to pay for them and stuff like that. That's all been cleaned up, thankfully. Um, so okay. it is – it's a fair bit safer for an average user who doesn't want to have to worry about navigating to different websites and trying to sidestep all the fake download buttons and everything. It can be a, a bit easier to do that. So I'd say it's, it's best to have a balance. Um, you probably won't find everything you're looking for on the store – but you might be surprised that the apps do have some advantages when you grab them from there. Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of people do use the Microsoft Store, don't they? For If they're on an Xbox, they're going to be using the Microsoft Store for sure. getting their, their Xbox yep. content. Um, that was part of the rebranding when they when yeah. Windows 10 came out. It's Instead of just apps, they have, uh, they have 
games there now too. So if you buy a game, certain games on your Xbox or on your PC, you can play them on either platform. Now, of course, you have to play them through the Microsoft Store, not Steam, but it's still a nice perk if you have an Xbox One also. Yeah. I um, you just reading this article, looking at the uh, comparison of the OneNote versions, reminds me I've got a vast collection of notes in OneNote that I haven't touched for a long time, which I really need to uh, rescue, <laughs> I suppose is the best word there. I have all my college notes in OneNote. It'd be Whoa. interesting to take a dive through that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've stopped using it since Google Keep came along, um, which tends to be my main note taken up these days. Okay, so I mean, what, what, what do you, I mean, do you feel it's worth using the Microsoft Store on on desktop then? Um, I think it really depends on you. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff like the movies and TV, you probably already like that's on offer as well. I didn't mention that. But I mean, that stuff you probably already you're tied probably into Google's or Amazon's or Apple's ecosystem. So there's probably not much need to buy stuff there. Um, as far as the apps, I would say um, if you if there's an app that has both versions, give it a try on the store. Maybe you'll find out you like it. If it doesn't have some functionality that you need, then just go back to the regular one. Um, but I'd say the main benefit of the store apps is they're, you know what they're doing. They're secure. They can't touch system files. And the automatic updates are really nice. Because a lot yeah. of apps, when you open them, it's like, hey, I need you to update. You go to the sure. website, you download, you have to go through all that versus just clicking get updates and it's easy. So I'd say give it a try. Most people will probably use a balance. You don't have to use the store, but it's not totally useless. Okay, cool. So that's um, Microsoft versus uh, Microsoft Store versus uh, standard desktop downloads. Okay, um, nine ridiculous EULA, that's end user license agreements, clauses you may have already agreed to. Uh, when, when you go through websites or using applications and there's a notice comes up and you have to click I accept at the end. Um, is it really as straightforward as you think it is? Ben, what's going on? Is it all crazy? Yeah, so uh, as, as Christian said, pretty much everything you do these days requires you to agree to the terms and conditions. Um, most of the time, this is a bunch of legalese that normal people would never understand or wade through. Pretty much nobody clicks or reads through the whole thing before they just click, yes, I agree. Um, but sometimes companies will put either funny or questionable uh, clauses in them. So a couple of the highlights, um, this one I think I'm pretty sure is supposed to be joking, but um, Amazon Lumberyard is like a free game development engine you can use in Amazon's cloud. Um, and it says that they don't want you to use like mission critical um, technology. Like you don't want to be powering your medical device with Amazon Lumberyard. I don't know why you'd do that, but it says uh, that, only, that only exception is if, quote, widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living human flesh, blood, brain, or nerve tissue, and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization happens. So the only the only way you can use Amazon Lumberyard to power your uh, medical device is if the zombie apocalypse happens. So um, that one's a bit silly. Um, but a lot of the other ones don't seem like they're trying to be funny. Like the, I, this, the original version of this article was written like seven years ago and it still had this one. Uh, when you agree to sign up for iTunes, it says you agree that you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by United States law, including without limitation, the development design manufacture or production of nuclear missile or chemical or biological weapons. So if you can somehow figure out how to make a nuke, uh, using iTunes, that's really quite impressive, but you're not allowed to, according to Apple. So 
I, I don't think that's a joke. I, I really don't, don't know why they have that in there. Um, there's a couple other ones. One of the most popular or infamous examples of this was P, a company called PC Pit Stop. It was a PC cleanup software. Uh, they included a clause in their terms and conditions to prove that nobody reads the terms and conditions. And they wrote a special consideration, which may include financial compensation, will be awarded to a limited number of authorized licensees to read this section of the agreement and email us. Um, it took months and over 3000 people downloaded the software before anyone responded to that and they won a thousand dollar cash prize so yeah there's a lot in ulas so if you're ever bored um wade through one of your favorites and see if there's something in there that you might enjoy because you might find a little hidden nugget of comedy yeah absolutely it's uh, one for those um those of you who have uh, trouble sleeping at night i think oh yeah that'll that'll be a lot a good way <laughs> to bore yourself to sleep for sure <laughs> Some of them are just, hey, I mean, just dozens and dozens of pages. I mean, thousands of words. I can't, I can't imagine being the person that has to write those up. Yeah, I think they probably have to do it in kind of um, special isolated se- sections. That's true. Yeah, maybe they With have plenty of breaks. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, multiple people write in different sections so that they're not sort of they, they don't get infected. Nobody goes insane. Right. Tedium. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to our final um, item this week. It's seven telltale signs. You're on the phone with a scammer. Uh, ben, again, you're responsible for this. I am. That makes it sound like uh, there's blood on my hands. <laughs> responsible for this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, um, you know, telephone-based sort of crime, cyber crime, phishing, um, all those kind of things are, they're not going away. So it is important to know if who you're speaking to is genuine or not. And, you know, there's a few red flags that you're going to outline for us in, um, that, you, that you can uh, look out for if you uh, receive a phone call that you're not expecting. Right, right. So like we said, uh, we talked before about phone call scams and there's, uh, we talked about what to do when you get them, but sometimes you get a scam that's a little bit different, and there's it's kind of good to have a set of uh, rules to follow that if this happens, it's probably a scam. So one of the biggest ones is if you didn't initiate the call, that's a pretty good chance it's a scam. So not always, but often uh, scams start when a random person calls you and whatever happens, they claim – we'll talk about more – but they claim that you won the lottery or they claim to be a family member or the IRS or whatever – um, that's a pretty good sign that you're talking to a scammer. So uh, if you didn't make the call, always be wary when someone tells you something, um, especially with some of these other reasons. So a lot of the times, a lot of the time, when you're on the phone with a malicious person, they try to paint an extreme scenario for you. Um, you know, they say they kidnap someone, or they say that they're a lawyer and your your cousin's in jail or whatever. Um, so you, you get these extreme situations that make you fear for the worst you know someone's dead or whatever so they try to get you not thinking logically and just acting on emotion based on the horrible news you just heard um the best idea whenever you hear something like this is to verify it without that phone call so if they call and say hey your cousin's in jail or whatever hang up contact them on a number or whatever you know is good and talk to them because most of the time it'll be like what are you talking about of course i'm okay and then you'll know that it was just a fake um, one of the other, some, so two other specific things you should keep an eye out for with fake calls. One of them is if they ask you to pay with a gift card, 
So this is a really common scam we've talked about before where um, the same thing, they'll tell you they need to pay uh, bail money or that they want to, there's a ransom or the IRS says you owe money in taxes or something, and they'll tell you to go buy a bunch of gift cards. That's never legitimate. Uh, gift cards are only good for the site that they're or the service that they're listed for. So anytime you get someone would tell you to pay your taxes with gift cards, that's complete bogus. Um, and another really big thing about the Windows tech support scam we've mentioned is if they show you a thing called the Windows Event Viewer. So there's a, there's a utility in Windows where you can look and see all these warnings and errors that to the average person really don't mean anything. They're just system level errors that no one should really bother with. But if you don't know that, someone will connect and say, hey, go to this uh, utility and see all these problems. This is all these uh, viruses on your computer. Again, complete bogus they're just using something that looks confusing to try to trick you. So there's a few other ones if you read the, the attached article, but uh, those are some of the really big signs that you're talking to someone who's trying to rip you off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with me that it's a pretty sordid way to scam money out of people. But as long as we have phones, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to be um, receiving these. Now, if you are using a mobile phone, obviously you can um, block the call after the event, um, and hopefully that might keep a particular network of uh, scammers off your back for a while. But um, uh, these, these are great tips to uh, read through and uh, get some appreciation of um, what scams are going on and how you can easily spot them, as Ben says. Uh, well, I mean, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Um, I am minded to mention, I can't really show you because it's in the car, but I have just reviewed a new dash cam, oh. uh, which I'm pretty pleased with the results of. It's a good dash cam. There's a good review of it on Make Use Of. Uh, he, he said, um, um, not at all boastfully, um, the, the, the video has turned out really well, though, and um, it's, a, it's one of our giveaways, so it's worth uh, checking out if you're after a new dash cam. Uh, so we'll include that in the show notes, along with everything else we've talked about in this week's really useful podcast, the Tech Podcast for Technophobes. And um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher.com, Transistor.fm, and pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts. We're also on uh, Spotify as well, which is quite cool. Spotify. Uh, yeah. Th thanks, thanks for that little jingle. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> we um if you've heard anything useful then um that you think you know someone who would benefit from then share it tell them about us and um we will be back next week for a new really useful podcast uh until then from ben stegner and myself christian corley and the rest of the really useful podcast team it's a uh, goodbye until then take care